You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Well, good morning again. So today we're going to continue on in this series, Piercing the Darkness. This past week I was in Ghana and returned, and uh, right now my body is about two hours over the Atlantic Ocean right now. And so I knew this would happen, and so I asked Pastor Austin to continue the series uh, today. And so I looked high and low, and you know, and he was available, and he was able to fit us in on his calendar. And I'm so, how many are appreciative of that? So would you give a great welcome to Pastor Austin today? Would you do that? Come on, it is so good uh, to be in church on a Sunday, right? Come on. Hey, I'm, I'm so excited uh, that you are in the house uh, this morning. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Austin Hogan. I'm the youth pastor here at The Bridge, and I am so honored to be speaking with you today. I'm so ready for you to receive what the Lord has for you this morning. Do me a favor, look to the person sitting next to you and tell them it's good to see you. Tell them you look better than I remember. Some of y'all knew better than that. You know better. Don't get it twisted. They meant it as a compliment. I hope. I hope. Man, it's such a privilege and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share with you uh, what God has put on my heart this morning. I'm so excited to get into the message, to get into the word this morning. Pastor Greg asked me a few weeks ago if I'd be able to preach this morning since he would be coming back from Ghana. And since you guys are so great, since you guys are always so welcoming, you can say amen to that. Uh, I decided that I was going to go ahead and take him up on that offer. Uh, I would love to uh, get a chance to speak again. But just in case you do have any questions or concerns, you can email me at pastormalikabney.com. That's M A L. IK, I'll get back to you as, as soon as possible. Thank you, Pastor Malik, for being able to take care of that uh, for me. That goes to show how amazing our pastoral team is, the, the staff I get to work with each and every single day, uh, Pastor Malik, Pastor Lisa, Pastor Danielle. Uh, so many great things happen behind the scenes uh, that you guys don't get to see. Uh, but since it is Pastor Appreciation Month, I wanna give a huge shout out to my pastor, Pastor Greg Hackett. Can you give it up for your lead? pastor this morning. Yes, we, we are so blessed, church, so blessed to be under, under Pastor Greg's leadership. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 12 is where I want to share just a couple of thoughts with you today. If you're ready to get into the word this morning, say amen. 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 Let's go. Hey, we've been in this series together in Romans called what? Piercing the darkness. Come on, I'm gonna need a little help this morning. We gotta preach together this morning. Don't leave me high and dry. It's called Piercing the Darkness. Cool. Hey, today I wanted to talk with you about how to fight and how to do it as a follower of Jesus. Some of you in the room just got real excited. You didn't know you can mix the two and still feel good about it. We're gonna learn how to fight this morning. Is that okay? Half of you are wondering what kind of church this is. The other half are wondering when the Fight Club Connection Group is gonna be starting. I think that's, 
in the spring, right? We'll, we'll see. We won't talk about it though. But my goal today is to show you that you are called to pierce through the darkness and you are called to bring the fight to evil that you see in your world. But I also want to show you that there is a right way to do it and there is a wrong way to do it. There's a right way that you can bring the fight to the enemy. And we find that in the text that we're going to be reading this morning. If you would stand to your feet for the reading of the word this morning. We're going to be reading out of Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, going all the way to 21. So take a deep breath with me. I don't want to see you getting all woozy and wobbly on me. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says this, if you'll read it with me. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Hey, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text in particular. Uh, God, we're learning how to fight this morning. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you help us. Help us understand what this means. I pray that every, every mind is open, every ear is open, every heart is open to what you have to say. Holy Spirit, help us this morning uh, as we dive into this message. Father, we love you. We thank you. In your name, the bridge said, amen and amen. You can go ahead and be seated this morning. So as we read this text, it seems like it's just a lot of do's and don'ts in scripture. Make sure you do this, make sure you don't do this, right? And it's kind of easy to read over them and say, oh my gosh, I've got to do better and then move on. But I dissect the scripture this morning and we pull back some of the layers on what's actually being said and what's actually going on and who wrote it and where they were writing it to. We see that it so much more than just that. Pastor Greg says this all the time. He says, text without context leads to pretext. Come on, y'all can finish that sentence for me. But if we really want to know what the text is saying, then we have to dive into the context of why it was written. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about what it looked like for a Christian to live in Rome around the time that Nero, the Caesar, was leader in Rome. The church was experiencing evil left and right. They were being attacked. They were being tortured. They were being framed for crimes they didn't commit. Some were even killed just because they were following who Jesus was. Now, Nero's main goal was to, to make the Roman Empire 
think that the Christians were just this antisocial, secretive cult, and they would meet together in the mornings, uh, and they would conspire against the Roman Empire. That's what he wanted everyone to know, is that these Christians are bad news. But in all reality, these first century Christians, especially those living in Rome, were, were pretty similar to what we have here at the bridge in our connection groups. They were, they were small groups of people. They would be meeting in each other's houses and they would, they would be challenging each other in their faith. They would, they would be growing with each other. They would be praying with each other, having communion together, eating dinner together. They were just living life together. But that didn't stop Nero and his public officials from making it seem like these Christians were just this hateful cult that wanted nothing more than to see Rome fall. So Nero did everything it took to, to twist the facts, try to eradicate this group of Christians before they got enough steam to really do uh, some damage. So he made them seem like they were intolerant, that they were anti-Roman, that all they really wanted to see in life was Rome fall so that they could step into power. And, and they, he did this by, by making it seem like since the Christians weren't praying to our Roman gods, that uh, now all of a sudden they don't want Rome's protection because the Roman gods are the ones that are gonna protect Rome. So these Christians aren't praying to Roman gods. They're not worshiping the Caesar because of their, obviously, obviously their beliefs, right? But Nero made it seem like they just wanted to see the fall of Rome. And when that really didn't stop the spread of Christianity, Nero decides he's going to set fire to Rome and then blame it on the Christians. So at this point, a lot of people were convinced that Christians gotta go. This, this whole church thing, this, these, these Jesus followers, they, they've gotta go, they've done enough damage already. There were so many rumors coming from the political party of Nero that these Christians were painted in such an awful picture. A Roman senator by the name of uh, Tacitus wrote this during, uh, wrote about what it was like during the time that these Christians were walking. He writes, accordingly, an arrest was made of all those who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as hatred against mankind. So as these Christians are trying to live out their faith and love their city and love the people that are in their city, the city thinks that they have this hatred against mankind. Tacitus, and he continues to write, he says, mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination. When daylight had expired, Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle and was exhibiting a show in the circus while he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer or stood aloft on a car. So now you can kind of see where Paul is coming from as he writes this letter to the Roman church. Because the people that he's writing to are following Jesus the best way that they know. But they're still experiencing this backlash from their community. They're still experiencing this misconceptions even from their own government. And it's easy to see that there's evil behind these attacks, right? It's easy to see that these are spiritual attacks against the church in its early stages to snuff it out. But as easy as it is for us to sit here and say, I know that that's what's going on, we can easily point out the spiritual attacks in our world today, can't we? We, we can easily point out that there are attacks, spiritual attacks on our school system. It's easy to see that, that there are spiritual attacks on our family units. 
that there are spiritual attacks on our mental health, on those in leadership positions. There's, there's spiritual attacks on even our own government. There's spiritual attacks on those who can't speak for themselves, those who can't defend themselves. And the response of the church as of late has not been, we're just gonna sit back and do nothing. The response of the church as of late has been, we're angry and we wanna do something about it. And this stems from a place of good intention, don't get me wrong, if you're anything like me, you see these attacks, these spiritual attacks, and something on the inside of you, something in your spirit starts to get stirred up and you wanna take a stand and you wanna fight against it. And I'm sure this is the exact same thing that the Roman church is feeling as Paul is writing this letter to them. Paul's writing to a group of people who are probably pretty emotional. They're probably going through this roller coaster of events of what's going on in their world. So Paul knew that they had this stirring in their spirit and that their emotions were probably pretty high and they were just wondering, how can we fight against this? There are attacks, there's persecution, there's so much stuff going on. I don't need to know how, or I don't even know that I need to fight it. I need to know how I'm going to fight this. And they needed to understand how to fight back the evil that they were seeing because two things are true. The first is there is a right way and there's a wrong way to fight when you follow Jesus. We could try to rationalize it. Man, the evil is just so much. We have to just kind of push Christianity to the side, push our spirituality to the side and fight this thing for real. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to fight if you claim to follow Jesus. The second thing that's true is that believing in Jesus alone does not fight back the evil that we see in our world. It does take a fight. God is not asking you to sit on your hands and sit back and just keep believing that God's gonna do it. He's asking you, he's placed you in positions against darkness so that you can have a fight against it, right? So here is what, what Paul is saying here. He's telling the church exactly how to fight in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. And since we're fighting the same kind of battle, we're gonna use the same kind of playbook. Because if a little group of Christians following after Jesus in Rome have more influence today than a guy named Caesar that we named a salad after, I think it's safe to say that we could take this game plan and it's worth taking, right? So here's what he says in verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's the, that's the title of the game, plan, the game plan. Paul breaks down exactly how to execute that game plan in the verses prior. The first part of the game plan is this, if you'll help me read it, point number one, it says we can't overcome evil with a love that is not sincere, but we can overcome evil with a love that's genuine. Here's what it says in verses nine and 10. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So Paul tells the church, if you want to actually stand against darkness, you're going to have to genuinely love each other. You see, Paul knows the situation that the church of Rome is in. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of different variables that are leading to a lot of different emotions. See, and at this point, you have Jewish Christians and you have non-Jewish Christians living in Rome. This is the church of Rome. It's combined of all of these different kinds of people. They're trying to get along. They're trying to solve theological issues with each other. They're, they're trying to figure all that out. But while they're trying to figure that out, all of them are getting persecuted against. 
They have their own government that's after them. The people see them in a different light than what they're trying to be seen as. So there's all this persecution going on. There's also a recent shift in power. As, as Paul is writing this letter to, to the church of Rome, uh, Nero had just stepped into office just for a couple of years. So there's all these new cultural ideals going on. Not only that, but Christianity is relatively new at this point. You think uh, Rome, or the, the letter of Romans was written at around 55 to 57 AD. Jesus has just died around 30 to 33 AD. This whole Christianity thing is only about 25 to 30 years old. Some of you in the room have been a Christian way longer than some of these Roman Christians. So they're trying to figure all this out. There's all these different emotions. And as these new Christians are trying to figure out how can we fight against this evil, Paul reminds them of the one thing that they all have in common, a genuine love. The whole reason that they all started following Jesus in the first place was because of this genuine love. And he reminds them of this love because nothing really combats high and low emotions like the kind of love that Paul's talking about here. Because I'm not talking about a romantic love, I'm talking about the kind of love it talks about in verse 10, a phileo love. We get the term Philadelphia from this term, right? The city of brotherly love. It's, it's a love that says, I genuinely care about you. I'm devoted to you. I'm going to honor everything about you that God says deserves honor. So if you really wanna pierce through the darkness, if you really wanna fight this thing, it's going to come from a sincere love, not a hypocritical one. So Paul makes it clear. Before he starts to list off all of the different ways that the Roman church can stand against evil, he starts the whole thing off by saying your love must be sincere because if it's not, none of it's gonna work. None of it's gonna work. If you do everything, but your love is not sincere, it's going to be for nothing. And don't you see that this is the evangelism strategy of choice by God, that people would see the sincere love of someone. And that's something that God had placed inside of them when he created them would say, I need that. There's something there, I'm drawn to that. Was that not his strategy with each and every single one of us? To show us that we were so genuinely loved that he would be willing to go as far as to die for us even though he was perfect. Your love must be sincere. People should look at the way that you love God. People should look at the way that you love the church, love each other, love your family, love your enemy and say, I gotta figure out how they do that. There's something different there. I need to know what that's all about. That's, that's not a hypocritical love. That's, that's sincere, that's, that's genuine. You don't see that every single day. And that might go against everything that I've ever heard about the church, that they were just full of, of hypocritical people. That might be so, we might all need uh, saving, but what would it look like if we all had a genuine love? Point number two, uh, Paul says this, if you'll help me read it. We can't overcome evil with a spiritual laziness. Everybody said amen to that. But we can overcome evil with a spiritual readiness. Here's what it says in verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I would not recommend using any of those words tomorrow when you step into the workplace. Do not go up to your coworker and say, how is your spiritual fervor today, brother? <laughs> Sister, are you lacking in zeal this morning? It's not gonna go very well. But this term spiritual fervor 
Uh, Paul uses this word in the Greek. It's called zeo. Like I said, for all you Greek scholars out there, Pastor Malik at bridgeforlife.com if you have any. But this term that he uses, zeo, it means to boil, to heat up, to, to turn up the heat. So Paul is writing to this church in Rome, and this is, the, this is the word that he decides to use. And what he's really saying is don't go cold and don't go lazy, but turn up the heat and make sure your spiritual walk is moving at a good pace. See, Paul must have known something about what persecution does in someone's faith. In fact, he was in charge of persecuting Christians for many years before he gave his life to Jesus and started following after him. So he must have known what it was like for a Christian to be persecuted against. And I'm sure he saw two sides of the coin, right? I'm sure he saw the Christian that when persecuted and attacked would turn away and go cold and just shut down. And on the other side of the coin, he would see the, the Christian that when persecuted against would actually turn up the heat to a boil in their own life. And he saw something different in them. I mean, at this point in Paul's life, he too had been persecuted against. So he too knew what it was like as an individual to personally turn up the heat in his spiritual life. So what Paul is saying here is if you wanna fight back evil, when you and your values are being persecuted, you turn up the heat to a boil in your spiritual life and you don't let that fire go out. Because here's the temptation, you're tired. You, you've, you've been the good Christian that, that turns the other cheek and yet you still see evil in your world. You still see things in your family and in your friends. Our human nature is gonna say, what good does reading my Bible do every single day? What, what good does continuing to live my life? This is difficult, this is tiring. People are seeing me in a way that I don't even wanna be seen right now. I mean, what, what good does it do? Maybe you're running your business the way that it should. With, with biblical principles and you look around and you start to see other people who don't have the same values and they start to climb the ladder. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're living your life to, to biblical standards in your schools or at your workplace and yet you're the one that gets outcasted. You're the one that gets to eat alone. You're the one that doesn't get to go inside the meetings. Maybe, maybe you're a parent trying to raise your kids and you're so tired of analyzing and researching the newest family movie that comes out or the school curriculum that comes out and you're so tired of it because you're wondering if it's going to align with your family values or not. This can get tiring, but there's something that happens when you're able to keep a spiritual fervor in your life, even through persecution and attacks. If your faith is growing cold, do something to turn up the heat. Don't be content with letting it fade until the next thing comes and, and re-sparks your passion. It's not up to a pastor on a Sunday morning to make sure that you have this spiritual fervor in your life. Don't wait for the perfect worship set to, to, to re-spark your passion for the Lord. It is up to you. If you, are, if you feel your faith growing cold, wake up a little earlier. Get into the word. It's up to you to make sure that this spiritual fervor in your life is good for serving the Lord. Here's what it says, point number, point number three, Paul's third step in this game plan is this, if you'll help me read it. We can't overcome evil with a self-focused attitude, but we can overcome it with a selfless one. Here's what it says, verse 12 through 16. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Look to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Man, I'm getting a lot of people in trouble this morning. Some of you married people had way too much fun with that. Husbands in the room, come on now. We're gonna, we're gonna have an altar call for all the husbands in the room because it's time to either repent now or answer for it later because the excuse of Pastor Austin told me to say it is not going to work in your household. It does not work in mine, right? My wife can attest to that one. It's not gonna work in yours. But when it comes to the attack on darkness, you have to realize it's just not about you. It has everything to do, however, with what's inside of you. You, you can't overcome evil with lean, without leaning into the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to require you to die to yourself, to pick up more of him. John chapter three, verse 30 says this, he must become greater, I must become less. Which means if I wanna overcome evil, it's going to require me to take the things that make sense in the natural and lay them down to gain the things that only make sense in the spiritual. It, mean, it means I'm gonna bless those who persecute me, even though that doesn't make sense in the natural. It, it means I'm going to live in harmony with people who are much different than me, even though it goes against what is in the natural. I'm gonna seek out the people who, who can't really do anything for me, but I can do for them. And that sounds great on paper, but the second that we leave these four walls, it gets a lot harder to think, how do I become less and how does God become more in my life? Because in this fight against evil, in this fight against darkness, when we're persecuted against, when we're attacked, we can get beat up physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And, and when we feel beat up, when we feel like we're being attacked and things are just coming at us from multiple different angles, we tend to get self-focused. And while we're focused on ourselves, we really can't fight back evil. I mean, think about it. If you're on the defensive, you can't really be on the offensive. But hear me, there's a time and a place where you do need to be self-focused. Jesus shows us this many times in scripture as he pulls away and spends time alone with the Lord. But that time that we spend focusing on ourselves should be to prepare us to go on the offensive later. So Paul actually lays out a for the Roman church here in verse 12, because they're experiencing some of these attacks. They've gotten beat up physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So he lays out a plan for them in verse 12. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And we know that when there's attack, when there's this an attack on our physical, uh, or when there's a spiritual attack, we can feel it in our spiritual. We can feel it in our emotional, we can feel it in our physical. So Paul knows the church needs to be prepared for this. And so he writes, mental, be joyful in hope. There's something that shifts in your mental when you're able to look forward and have joy for what's coming. I'm not worried about what happened back there. I'm not even really worried about what's going on here. I have a joy for what's coming. He says, for your physical, be patient in affliction. Don't let everything go right to here. Not everything is, is, is that deep. Not everything uh, is persecution. Someone might just be having a bad day. 
Don't let every single thing go right to your heart because you are going to be bogged down with so many different attacks. He says, for your spiritual, be faithful in prayer. Something in your spiritual life shifts when you're saying, God, I, don't, I can't hear you. I can't really feel you right now, but I'm going to remain faithful in my prayer life anyways. So how do you position yourself to be the church that can stand against a culture that goes against your values? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And once you've positioned yourself to be healthy enough to do what God needs you to do, you go on the offensive. You share with those in need. You, you're hospitable. You bless those who persecute you. You rejoice with those who rejoice, and you mourn with those who mourn. You live in harmony. You associate with people in low positions. The only way that you pierce the darkness in your jobs, in your schools, with the people that you lead, with your family, is if you're healthy enough inside to be outwardly focused. So yes, you may need some time to recover from some of the hits that you've taken, but that can't mean that you stay in the recovery room forever. Because if you're still breathing, God has more in store for you. He has big plans for you. So position yourself for the fight, but don't stay in the recovery room forever. The last thing that, that Paul talks about uh, in, in, in this scripture, and point number four, if you'll help me read this this morning, we can't overcome evil with revenge or with payback, but we can overcome evil with peace. Here's what it says, verse 17 through 20, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So Paul makes it a point to speak directly to those of us who see evil in the world and wanna throw evil right back. I know that can't be anyone in this room, so I'll just move right along. Now I'll preach this to myself if I have to, because we get hurt. And that open wound makes us feel vulnerable because we know that it won't be the last time that a hit comes. It won't be the last time that we get hurt. So instead of waiting for the next hit to come, our flesh wants to be the one that takes the hurt to them first. See, there, there's a battle going on between your, your, your spirit and your flesh or your, your natural self and your spiritual self. See, your natural self wants to hurt the people that hurt you because they deserve it. But your spiritual self wants to save the people that hurt you even though they don't deserve it. Nothing will ruin your witness like revenge because it goes against the very message that you're claiming to live your entire life by, that you deserve death, and that God took it upon himself to take that punishment. See, repaying evil for evil won't really push back any darkness. It'll actually just give it more room to work. But if you can find a way to repay evil with love, there's not much that darkness can do there. So if you wanna fight back evil in your, world, in your world, if you wanna take a stand, if you wanna fight, you do it with love and with grace, not with malicious and anger. Because if Paul had the authority to write to a Roman church who was going against way worse things than we're experiencing today in our modern Western church, you can believe that this still applies to us today. 
Church, we have to understand that there are attacks against many things that we love, many things that we care about, many things that we want to fight for, but we also have to make sure that we take the stand against it that God wants us to take. We have to make sure that our love is genuine. We gotta make sure that we have a spiritual readiness, that, we're, that we make sure that we're healthy enough to be outwardly focused. We have to make sure that we're living in peace and giving grace, amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning as, as we close out the service? So that's the game plan, right? That's, that's how we fight this thing. And the truth is, each of us have a different way that we can apply this into our life. But the truth also is that if each and every single one of us do it, darkness really doesn't stand a chance in the world that you live in. But the ability to fight back darkness starts with having a relationship with Jesus. Paul starts this whole game plan by talking about how your love must be sincere. You won't find a love more sincere than the one that Jesus is offering you today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, I wanna give you a chance uh, to accept Jesus today. So if you're saying, man, that's me, I really feel like God's calling me, uh, he's calling me home. I really feel like I gotta rededicate my life. Maybe it's so off the rails. I need to point my life back in the direction of Jesus. In just a second, I'm gonna ask you to just lift your hand and you can slip it right down. But I I wanna say this first, I'm not gonna do anything to embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna call you forward. I just want to know if there's anyone in the room that I'd be praying for today. And this church is gonna pray with you to encourage you. So if that's you this morning and you're saying, man, I really feel like God is calling me home. He's calling me to start this relationship with him. Could you just slip up a hand and put it right back down? Yeah, I see your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. Anybody else? I don't want to miss. I don't want to rush past this. Come on, church. Would you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, I come to you today acknowledging my sin. I know the only way is to give it to you. So here's my life. I choose to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give it up for everyone who just accepted Jesus for the first time? Man, that is, that is the greatest decision that you will ever make in your entire life. This church uh, loves you. They wanna, they wanna come beside you. We have uh, resources for you. We don't want this to just be a moment. We want this to be the start of something that lasts the rest of your life. We have some resources available for you out in the lobby before you leave. There are bags, they're called Following Jesus. It's really simple. We we just ask that you take those uh, if you want them uh, as you leave this place uh, today. But I'm gonna call all the connection group leaders forward. Uh, We're gonna open up this altar for prayer. If it had nothing to do with the message that I said this morning, there's no way I can cover every single topic, every single thing that you might be going through. So if you want prayer, uh, these connection group leaders will be here for you this morning. But can you lift your hands, uh, church, uh, all across this place? Can we give him the praise that he deserves this morning? We're gonna enter back into a time of worship. Uh, So would you sing this out like you actually mean it? Come on, church, let's sing. From the rising sun to the setting same I will praise your name. 